Now, presenting live from 401 Maplewood Drive in Jupiter, Florida. Join our family every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m. Today's message brought to you by Pastor Ben Pierce. Good morning. Hey, I really want to encourage you to mark your calendars for the next series, Heart for the House. It's, uh, it's a series just about having a heart for the things that Jesus had a heart for. And uh, it's going to be a really endearing series, and, um, and I think you'll get a lot out of it. So make sure you mark your calendars for that month of November. We're going to have a good time. You guys excited to be in God's house this morning? Yeah. Love to see the uh, the nine o'clock service filling up. You guys are the early birds, and uh, you guys are a little rowdy. Um, I, I like the nine o'clock service because uh, you guys, you know, anybody gets out of bed to come to church at nine a.m. You're you're serious, and so thank you guys for coming today. We're gonna have a great time. This is the fifth message out of the series "Love Between the Lines." Hey, can we welcome everybody joining us by video this morning? So glad you guys have tuned in. I want to encourage you to come and be a part of a service live and in person right here at Generation Church. Uh, this series is an expositional study. It's a line-by-line study through the book, The Song of Songs. The Song of Songs is the cream of the crop, the top of the heap. It is the, the best out of the 1,005 songs that Solomon wrote. The scripture tells us that Solomon is the wisest man on planet Earth, and uh, God granted him heavenly wisdom. And so if he wrote about relationships, uh, which he did in this book, then it stands to reason we should learn from Solomon. And, uh, and so this is the best of his writings. It's the only song out of the thousand and five that we uh, have that remains. Everything else has been lost. And so uh, it's a, a very uh, symbolistic type of book. There's a lot of allegory, a lot of metaphors, a lot of symbolism in there. And so uh, my job is to do the heavy lifting, pull the symbolism out from between the scriptures, the lines, the love between the lines. And uh, so let's get right into it. Today is going to be called Deepening Love. This whole series, we've been walking through their relationship from the time they first met to the time that they courted, the wedding day, the uh, honeymoon night, uh, their first uh, fight, their first altercation, and then this weekend is going to talk about how they deepened their relationship, how they took it from a place of just getting married, just getting to know each other, and they began to deepen it. And, and what I find in life and relationships a lot of times is, is we get married, we have relationships, and they get to this level of depth, and then we kind of stop. We kind of get to this place of, okay, I'm, I'm all right where I am right now. And there's no real pressure to kind of push ourselves to go to the deeper levels of relationship. And so there's a lot of uh, superficial relationships that happen in the world. The world system kind of pushes superficial relationships. The world system says, well, it's all about the way you look and your great personality and, and all those kind of things. And, and so the system of the world doesn't put preeminence on or preeminence on character. It puts preeminence on being a character. Right? If you can be a character, you can be a wreck on the inside, but as long as you've got a good personality and a six-pack that just won't stop, you're good enough. That's what the world says. But the reality is, is that you need to be more than just a character. You need to have some character. And our relationships need to have some depth to them. And so, as always, I'll give our ground rules for the series. This is a PG-13 series. And so, if you're under the age of 13, I encourage you to take advantage of our amazing children's ministry next door, Generation Church Kids. If you're over the age of 13, you need to hear this. We're going to get a little racy today uh, because that's just what relationships are. They just have some real deal nuts and bolts to them. 
them. And so we're going to get right into that. And uh, the church needs to take the lead on this. We need to be teaching these things. We need to be in a place as a church of God where, where we're teaching the deeper parts of intimacy. We're teaching the deeper parts of relationships and, and how to navigate those. Um, the second ground rule is listen for yourself. No amen, brothers. No elbowing your wife. I told you so. See, listen to him. He's, he's pointing you out. None of that stuff, okay? Listen for you because if you'll listen for you, God will work on your heart. And if uh, you will listen for you, God will work on your spouse's heart as well too. If you're not married, take lots of notes. Lots and lots of notes because I guarantee you when you get married, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I'd taken notes in that series, Pastor Ben. Dang it. Why did I not do that? So take some notes. We have notebooks. They're free. You paid for them. You tithed. Go get them. They're in the the foyer. And so uh, it's a place for you to keep your notes, your fill-in notes, um, and you can keep track of where we're going as a church family. And uh, we do some pretty cool stuff. We hole punch them for you. You can say thank you later. And... um, And we just want to make it easy for you to grow in God. So developing a deeper love is not difficult. It just requires desire. It's not a difficult thing. You just have to want to do it. Isn't that the truth with anything in life? I mean, there's so much in life that all it really requires is just a little bit of concerted effort. Most of us could produce and do amazing things in multiple arenas of life if we could just focus on one thing for a while. And and developing a deeper relationship is is not something that is unattainable. It just requires a little bit of focus. How many guys know that life is better with just a little bit of depth? Like if you bungee cord off a short bridge with a long cord, right? I mean, it's, it's better to have some depth in life. You jump into the shallow end of the pool. Have you ever done that? It's better to have a little depth in life. You go to the movies and, and you're sharing a soda with your wife and you've had this big bag of salty popcorn and you go to pick up the drink and all you hear is because she drank the last drink. How many of you guys know that a deeper cup of soda at that point in life is paramount? Life just, it requires some depth to it. And, and our society pushes for, for this shallow, unsophisticated relationship. We, we take the father figure out of the family. We, we take the parental guidance out of the family. Instead of parents being parents, parents have now become friends to the kids. And, and, and we're no longer raising kids. We're allowing them to raise themselves. Or we're asking the government to raise them. We're asking the school system to raise them. We're asking the church to raise them. And there's just something to be said about having some depth of relationship. There's something to be said about having some depth with your spouse and and how you communicate. Marriage is about a lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. A lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. There is not a person on this planet that any one of us could marry that is perfect. And if you married the perfect person, you're going to ruin it because you're not perfect. So it's about a lifelong commitment. It's about looking at at this relationship and this spouse and saying, listen, I know we're going to have to grow through some things. and I know we're going to have to learn some things about each other. But I'm willing to make a lifelong commitment to you to have a deeper relationship, to have something that has some substance to it, a multifaceted relationship that, that has different angles to it, different things that you connect on. And if you will put the time and effort into it, God will help you get there. It's a commitment to always deepen your lives together. The easy thing to do is just float on the top of the surface. That's easy. Anybody can float. 
But it takes some effort to get a good deep breath of air and swim down to the bottom. But you know what? It's down on the bottom where the lobsters hang out. It's down on the bottom where the, uh, the uh, coral is. You know, it's down on the bottom of things. It's in the deeper areas where the fun stuff is. And our relationships are the same way, man. There's nothing fun about a superficial marriage. There's nothing fun about a business relationship. I'll raise my kids and then I'm going to be done at 18. There's nothing fun about that. You waste your life, waste your years just trying to get your kids out of college and, and, and you could have been deepening a relationship. I hear people say this a lot. They say, I just married the wrong person. Hogwash. When you said, I do, God gave you the power and the anointing to make that marriage the right marriage. It's just the way it is. He gives you everything. Scripture tells us First Peter. He gives you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Life is the natural side of life, and godliness is the supernatural side of life. So everything that you need for the natural side of your marriage, God gives you. Everything that you need for the supernatural side of your life and marriage, God gives you. So you didn't marry the wrong person. You just haven't des- developed the right desire yet. If you desire to deepen that love, you can do it. Lasting relationships are built on deep foundations. I mean, where in the world do we ever build anything that lasts on a shallow foundation? Nowhere. Everything that stands, everything that has any altitude to it, anything that is large and strong and and, in its structure has a deep foundation. So why would our marriages be any different? Why would our relationships be any different? The the reality is, is that what you see on on the top is a reflection of what needs to be on the bottom. We, uh, we bought this piece of property um, here in Jupiter because we want to move to be closer to this campus. And so um, we have these huge 100-year-old oak trees on it. And so the, the oak trees are like, you know, four feet around in diameter. And so we had an arborist come out just to check the health of the oak trees. And, and they have, you know, an 80-foot canopy and a 100-foot span. They're beautiful. And the root system, because we wanted to move some of these around, the root system on these trees are just as big underneath the surface as they are on the top. Just as big. And so our relationships and our marriages have to be built on that foundation. The more you build the foundation of deepening your love relationship, the better whatever, the better uh, it gets for, for everybody else to see the, the visual part of that, the day-to-day, what your kids see, what your family see, what you experience. It doesn't work where you build the top first and then you establish the foundation. You have to deepen things first. You guys tracking with me? So this is where Solomon and his wife are. They're in the place of deepening love. They've had the honeymoon. They've had uh, their fights. They've done all the things that, they've, they, that we do in normal relationships. And now they're in a seasoning part of their relationship, a part where they really are working to seek and understand and know each other and deepen that part. So Song of Solomon chapter 7 and verse 1. He's speaking here and he says, How beautiful are your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels and the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by the lilies. This doesn't mean that she's fat and drunk, by the way. (laughs) 
When he says that her belly is a mound of wheat and her belly button is full of blended drinks, that means that in their society, there were two main harvests. There was the harvest of the wine, the harvest of the grapes, and the other main harvest was the harvest of the grain. And so when he says your belly is like blended wine, it's indicative of the first harvest of the year. And when he says your belly is like a mound of wheat, it's indicative of the grain harvest. And what is he really saying by this? He's saying that you satisfy me in all seasons. You feed me. You are it for me. And he begins this, this realization in the, the middle part of their marriage that she is just it and a bag of chips. You know, there's something to be said about just realizing some things. You know, you kind of have some aha moments, and, and, and I would encourage you to, to really be intentional about developing some aha moments. So he gets in this place. He develops this. He realizes that, man, she satisfies me. She, he says, verse 3, your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. If you're following along in your fill-ins, your first fill-in today is develop a deeper admiration. In order to develop deeper love, we have to put some effort and energy into developing a deeper admiration. He's looking at her and he is admiring who she is. He's admiring that she satisfies him in all seasons of life. He's admiring the fullness of who she is. When you look back in the early chapters of Song of Solomon, what does he do? He admires her from the top down. It's, it's her eyes look like doves behind her veil. Her teeth are like shorn sheep that have been brushed, and she's not missing any teeth. How many guys are glad? Not missing any teeth. Okay. And so she, she has all of these things together, and he, he is looking at her from the top down, kind of really what the world says. The world is all about how does somebody look? What's the beauty? What's the thing right in front of me? But later on in their marriage, in the middle part of their marriage, they start to deepen. And he takes a step back. And it's no longer just the easy what's right in front of me face to face. He takes a step back and he says, wow, your feet. Their love is maturing. It's deepening your thighs, your belly. He goes through this whole thing. And so he starts at the top early on. And he ends at the gazelles, as the scripture calls them. And then he starts at the feet, and he works his way back up, and he ends at the gazelles, as Scripture calls them. I don't know what it is about the wisest man in the world in gazelles, but he writes about them a lot in Scripture. <laughs> but the point is, is that this place in their marriage, it's no longer just the top part. It's the full picture. It's the full picture of who she is from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And he is admiring every square inch of who this person is. He's admiring the, the, the qualities that reside within her. Admiration or admiration is the act of looking on or contemplating with pleasure. You know, you just kind of step back for a minute and you're just like, wow. Gentlemen, I would encourage you to take a few minutes instead of always nitpicking the things that you wish your wife would do. Take a step back and just say, you know, I did pretty good. I married up in the world. She's not perfect, but neither am I. And just take a minute and admire the good qualities. It's so easy to point out the bad qualities. But when we begin to point out the good qualities and we admire who our spouse is, man, it begins to develop a deepening. He admired her in three different ways. Number one, he admired her on their wedding night. And we talked about this. This was your eyes look like doves, your hair is like a flock of goats, all of those kind of things. And there's a lot of symbolism there. But he admired her on the wedding night. So he admired her and that preceded intimacy. 
The second time that he admired her was after their first fight. He took time and he recounted the very same things that he said to her on their wedding night, on their honeymoon night. And after their first fight, he admired her again. And that admiration that preceded intimacy on their wedding night, that same admiration repaired the altercation after their first fight. You see in the pattern here. The admiration begins to cause us to deepen our relationships. And then the third admiration is the one I just read to you. He admired her in public. Man, there's something powerful about admiring your spouse or praising your spouse in public. There's just, have you ever been praised in public? Man, you just feel like a million bucks. When somebody just says, you did a good job. Hey, guys, look at this. Look what so-and-so did. Melissa went last night with uh, Ann Cotton, and they painted a, a painting down at this little art studio. And we brought it in last night, and I was like, what, did you buy that? Because it was so good. And so I'm like, we need to put this up somewhere. We need to put this in our house. It's like modern art. It's so beautiful. And so I took her around. I was showing all the staff. I was like, look what Melissa did. And they're like, wow, that's really cool. And so, you know, it's, it's a little thing in life. But how good did it make you feel? Oh, my Lord. She's like, she's going to put her name on that. And, and she's going to sell it for money. And... A little bit of public praise goes a long way. And here's the thing about the public praise in the latter part, the more mature part of their relationship, is it it was complete. It was head to toe. He took the time to look at every opportunity to praise his wife. Now look at me very closely. How often do we take the opportunity to pick out every fault of our spouse? Oh my gosh, it just flows out of us. You did this, you left a peanut butter spoon in the sink, come on, and now it's rotted and there's a little plant growing out of it. (laughs) And we take the time to nitpick those little things, but wow, imagine what it would do to deepen our relationships if we took some time to say, you're just amazing. You have so many great qualities. I wouldn't trade you in for anything. There's not another person on the planet not another woman in any place I've ever met that would, would replace you. Imagine what that does to your relationship when you just take the time just to communicate those things. It deepens the relationship. It deepens the relationship. When I was in research, I had a, a boss who, uh, he had this picture of a, a gorgeous girl on a calendar on his, uh, on his desk. And on that picture, it said, somebody somewhere, she is driving crazy. And the point of that was, it doesn't matter how beautiful somebody is, somewhere, somebody is driven crazy by that person. Somewhere, somebody is nitpicking her. It doesn't matter what she looks like. It doesn't matter what he looks like. It doesn't matter how good. The the, the point is, is the grass is never greener on the other side. Because they could look like a total package to you, but the reality is, is if you were married to them, they would drive you nuts. That's the reality. It doesn't matter who they are or what they look like. You put a ring on their finger, and they're going to find a way to drive you nuts. It's just the way relationships are. So why not just take the one that you have and deepen it to the deepest depths that you can reach? Am I preaching to anybody today? Okay. Preaching to myself. So this admiration was more complete. The third admiration was 
global. He says in verse 4, he says, Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabim. Um, he says that your nose is, is like the tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. You know, the point of this is if you notice, he's talking about the same features that he talked about earlier, but he's talking about them in a deeper way. It's not the doves behind your eyes. Now it's that your eyes are like the pools of Bathrabim, the pools of Heshbon. And, and so what is the, the symbolism out of this? The symbolism is her eyes were this superficial thing that he saw early on in their relationship, but now he sees the depths of them. The pools of Heshbon were fish ponds that had been dug out in the rock of the desert, and they were deep, and they were 135 feet wide, and they were, um, you know, 30 or 40 feet deep. And if you can imagine this dusty, dirty, brown rock of desert, and then all of a sudden, this 135-foot deep fish pond, how beautiful and blue that must look. What, what type of, of amazement that would have produced just to the visual aspect of a person as they look on this dry desert and see the depth of that. That's what he's saying to her. Initially, her eyes were like doves, but now her eyes are like these deep pools. He's noticing that there's some depth there. They're, they're developing deepening love. Are you guys tracking with me? Number two, we have to learn to recognize the deeper needs of our spouse. Learn to recognize the deeper needs of the spouse. Things had matured. Her needs had matured. How many of you guys know that the longer you live together, your needs get more established, more defined, and more mature? You know, when you first get married, you can live on love and nothing else. I mean, we barely fed ourselves. We just, we were like, we just lived on love. I, you know, I don't even know how we fed ourselves. I'm not even sure we ate. We just loved each other the first first year she was in Bible college and, and you know, I don't know. I don't even know how we survived. I definitely didn't make enough money to feed us. And, but as your relationship grows and it matures, how many guys know that you just can't live on, on those superficial feelings and emotions, that honeymoon period forever? You have to have some deepening, some depth. We, we had to learn how to have some communication. It was no longer cuddling didn't communicate enough. We needed to talk. We needed to express to each other. I needed to know how she feels about things. She needed to know how I feel about things. We, we needed to deepen those parts and, and to understand her needs and for her to understand my needs was huge because here's what we do. We try to meet our spouse's needs based on what we think their, spout, our, their needs are. Right, so Melissa, she likes to communicate, talk. She likes to have one-on-one. -on -one. She likes to look in, at, in my eyes and, and just really like drill down and just talk about some things. And for her, that is heaven. And so what does she do? She tries to meet my needs based on what she thinks they are because they're her needs. And so she thinks that if she spends a lot of time talking to me that she's fulfilling my needs just like it's fulfilling hers. The reality is I don't really like to talk. And most often in life, that's what we do. So we had to learn that I, my needs are not those kind of things. I don't need to talk. I, I work with my mind, so I like to play with my hands. I like to rest and relax. I like to go dig around in the yard. I like to do that kind of stuff. And so for Melissa to meet my needs, it's for her to recreate with me. And when she figured out that my needs are not her needs and my needs were recreation, we got to a deeper level. And when I figured out that every time I, I'm trying to recreate, I'm like, hey, babe, let's go out on the boat. And she's like, oh, I really don't do that. Well, it's meeting my need, but it's not meeting her need. You can't meet your spouse's needs based on what your needs are. You have to meet your spouse's needs based on what their needs are. And in order to figure out what their needs are, you got to ask them. 
And then you got to get to this place where sometimes we go out on the boat and sometimes we just sit and talk. And so when we're out on the boat, it meets my needs. When we sit and talk and there are candles lit and the TV's off and we've got the windows open and we're just kind of chilling and talking about life and stuff, it meets her needs. See, getting to that place of meeting the deeper need is how you deepen the love relationship. Here's the deal about need meeting is you cannot negate the principles of reciprocity. What you sow, you reap in life. And if you sow to meeting the need of your spouse, your needs will get met. But I know how this works in our lives. We think, I can't really do that because if, if I don't make sure, if I don't have a hand in my needs being met, they're probably not going to get met. So I'm trying to work our relationship where I'm getting mine, but I'll give you a little bit. But I got to make sure that, that I'm getting enough boat time. Or I got to make sure that I'm getting enough talk time. The reality is, is if she gives me boat time, we talk. Because she sowed into that and she reaps. And if I give her talk time, she is so much more likely to go to the boat. She really is. And so what you sow, you reap in that. You cannot break the principles of sowing and reaping. If you will sow to the needs of your partner, you will reap your own needs getting met. Now that's good preaching. All right, verse uh, four and five, it says that your nose is like the tower of Lebanon looking towards Damascus. Verse five, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is captivated, captivated by its tresses. What is he saying here? Number three on your fill-ins, establish a deeper respect. He says that your head is crowned like Mount Carmel. He looks back at her and he admires her and he's realizing who she is and he's taking inventory, not of the bad qualities, but of the good qualities. And in his heart, he is developing a respect. He's like, you are like Mount Carmel. Your head is crowned like Mount Carmel. The king is captivated by you. He respects her. Our society today is so disrespectful of husbands and wives and parents and kids. This is an antidote to our society and the system of this world. Shallow relationships are full of disrespect. Deep relationships are full of respect. Doesn't mean that the people are perfect, but it means that in the midst of the imperfect person that we have married, that we are willing to mine out the things that are respectable. Come on, guys. It's so easy to talk about the things that are, are bugging you. It's not so easy to, to figure out those things that are true gems inside of your spouse's life. But when you dig those things out, it's like any mining operation. You got to dig through a lot of dirt to get to the gold. You got to dig through a lot of rock to get to the precious stones. And our marriages are not so different when you dig deep and you go through all the dirt and the rock and all of that kind of stuff. You'll get to the place where you find something of true value. And when you find it, give it respect. Show it respect. Our current society has disrespected the role of a father. And we have fatherless kids and we have fatherless families and if, if you're in that situation, you had a failed marriage or you're in a, a blended family or something like that, listen, Jesus makes all things new. 
I'm not here to talk about your past. I'm here to talk about your future. Your past is sealed. You can't do anything with it anyway. But guess what? You have a future, and you have the ability to change every single bit of your future. If you've had a messed up past, you can have an awesome future if you just apply the principles of God to your life. So I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to feel good. I want you to feel excited. I want you to be like, you know, I screwed up. But, hey, I've got a life in front of me, and I can make this one the best. So we have to have an antidote for our society, and respect is a huge part of that. I think it's just interesting how over time couples just seem to lose respect in this dwindling fashion. It's like over the years, there's just less and less respect. I believe that God wants us to, over the years, have more and more respect for each other. That as we get deeper and deeper in love and and as we find out the depths of how our, our spouse thinks and operates and ticks and what happens inside of them, that there's more to respect, not less to respect. And we dig deeper in those times. On their wedding night, he could only come up with seven things to praise her on. He talked about her eyes, her teeth, her cheeks, her breast, her neck, her hair, seven things. But later on in their marriage, as they had matured, it was no longer just a sevenfold praise. It was a tenfold praise. It had extended from just her head and face and, and upper area to her entire body. He praised there was more to it. There's more uh, substance to their relationship. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. That you go from a place of, of, of relatively newness and shallow relationship to a place of older and mature and deep relationship. He says this in verse 6. He says, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of the palms and your breasts are like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruits. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. And then she responds and she says, and may that wine go straight to my beloved, flowering gently over his lips and his teeth. Verse 10, I belong to my beloved And his desire is for me. Your fourth fill-in is cultivate deeper desire. Cultivate deeper desire. Desire is not physical. Desire is spiritual, it's emotional, and physical. You're a three-part person, spirit, soul, and body. And true desire has to be outside of just the physical side of that. Our world is painted desire as just two nude bodies on a screen, right? That, that's not desire. It's one facet of desire. True desire has to start first in the heart. It has to start first in, in the relationship, the communication. It has to start first in the emotional connection and the spiritual connection. And from there, it blossoms out into the physical. Our world has it backwards. The world says just have physical desire and everything else is fine. The reality is, is if you start with physical desire, the emotional desire and the spiritual desire dry up. It is the emotional desire that drives the physical. It is the spiritual desire that drives the physical desire. We've got to have those things straight. And so he, he talks about how beautiful she is, how, how perfect she is, her love and delights. And the whole response of that is that I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. They say that the grass is greener on the other side. The reality is the grass is only greener where you water it. 
where you cultivate desire is where the grass grows. And if you see a field of, of grass that looks so green and you go over there and you stop watering it and you treat that grass just like you treated this grass, it's going to die too. It really is. You can look at the statistics. You know, the first failed marriage is about 50%. The second is 60, 70, 80%. Every time there's a failed marriage, the percentage of divorce goes up. Because the reality is it's not the person. It's that we're not watering the grass. We've got to water the relationships. We've got to cultivate desire. Desire is cultivated in a place of complete abandonment. I love this. She says, I am my beloved's. What a vulnerable statement. I'm his. I'm yours. And because she had complete abandonment to him, she had no reservations. She trusted him complicitly. His desire was for her. She was completely abandoned in him. She had rest in him. There was satisfaction. And that abandonment, that rest, that satisfaction caused him to desire her. And the same thing, men, when you rest in your wife and, and you're completely satisfied in her and who she is, it turns her desire on for you. But when you're always talking about, oh, you know, I wish you'd drop a few pounds. I wish you'd do this. I wish you'd do that. You deplete the desire. Because what you communicate is not, I love you and I want you to be the best you can be. That, it, that never comes out when you say, hey, can you drop a few pounds and can you get rid of that nightgown? That never communicates right. What it communicates is, is I'm really not satisfied with you. I, what it really communicates is I'm, I don't feel complete with you. What it communicates is, is that, ah, you know, I think there's something better for me out there. No wonder she doesn't desire you. Why would she give herself completely and fully and passionately to you when, when you're picking the negative parts of her life out? Why would he give himself completely and passionately to you? Why would he put the remote control down if he doesn't feel like you are completely satisfied in him? You sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap. Cultivating the desire. Verse 11 says, come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. And there I will give you my love. Verse 13, the mandrakes send out their fragrance. And at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my beloved. This is her talking. Your last feeling is plan time for deeper intimacy. Plan some time to spend together. Plan some time to get the kids out of the house and have a dinner ready for your wife when she comes home and a little Etta James playing in the background and, you know, a candle lit and the windows open. Plan some time. Fix her favorite meal. Put some love music on. And be intentional with it. This is what she's saying. She's saying, hey, can we travel together? Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. How many women love to travel? All right, how many women don't like to travel? All right, so 99% of women like to travel. I'm going to help you men out here just a little bit. 99% of women like to travel. So develop deeper intimacy by taking your wife on a vacation. Take some time off of work, disconnect from the world, and go do something together. 
Invest some time in your relationship. For the 1% of women who don't like to travel, men, you got to figure out what rings or bell. Something does. But once you figure it out, do that. Invest in those times of intimacy. This is what happens. She says, let us go and see. Let's spend some time together. Let's travel together. And let's see if the, the pomegranates are in bloom. What's she saying? Come on now, preach to me. What's she saying there? It is exactly what you think it is. To see if the vines have budded and their blossoms have opened. And then she says, there, if the pomegranates are in bloom, I will give you my love. If you'll spend some time and be intentional, she will give you love. And wives, the same thing for your husbands. Find out what rings his bell. Maybe it's, it's going out on a boat or something like, I don't know, going fishing. <laughs> I know that's a rough one. I'm just saying, though, you might, you might enter into a new atmosphere in your marriage if you pick up a, a slimy fish and put it on a hook. I'm just saying. This street walks both ways, right? The key is that we find some time and we're intentional with those relationships. And he will give you his love there. She will give you hers and he will give you his. They took the time to travel, to be alone, to invest in deepening their love. And it created a deeper relationship. It created something that was unbreakable. Created something that was sustainable. That the wind and the waves of life couldn't push that around and destroy the foundation of it. Now, you may be here today and you may say, well, Pastor Ben, I, um, I probably have not done so well at this. And I would say to you, I probably haven't done so well at it either. But God's grace is immense. His mercy is new every single morning. And, and you may be in a place where you feel like you have blown it in the past but God can take you at this place today and he can open up an entire new future for you. You may feel like your marriage is in a place where it's done. You may feel like your marriage is so shallow that there's nothing that you can do to deepen it. But I'm here to tell you that God restores all things. He makes all things new. And I realize there's a part to play of, of each of the spouses and, and those kind of things. And sometimes you get a bullheaded man or a bullheaded woman. I get that. But, but don't give up the hope because God will use the principles of the kingdom to woo them back. But you got to do the right things. You got to follow the, the examples that God has given us in his word. Try something different. See if it doesn't change your relationships. Close your eyes with me this morning. Father, I bless you today. Thank you for our relationships, God, that, that we would deepen them. Lord, that we wouldn't feel condemnation. We wouldn't feel this uh, inability to do this. But God, that you would give us fresh vision, that you would give us ideas. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would illuminate for us the ins and outs of our spouse, that you would give us creative ideas, Holy Spirit, that you would minister right now to maybe some spouses that are, are running. God, that you would minister to their hearts. And Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do. That you would draw them back to the throne. If you're here this morning and, 
He just feel like, man, I just need God to do something in, in my relationship. I, I need God to help me make a commitment, a lifelong commitment to an imperfect person. And God's just tugging on your heart. I just want you to respond to that. Just, just let God know that I hear you, Lord, and, and I want to do my best. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? God's just tugging on your heart. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said this, you can put your hands down. I said this at the beginning, and this is not rocket science. It's very simple principles that just have to be consistently applied. Very simple. I would encourage you to take this message, take this entire series, and, and keep these six messages together and just reference them. Get these principles on the inside of you. Second question I have for you this morning, if you're here and your relationship with God is non-existent, before you can ever get your marriage relationships to work, you've got to have the first relationship, and that's between you and Jesus. Now, I don't know what your life experience has been, but if, if you're here today and, and you do not have a relationship with Jesus and God is tugging on your heart, I want to give you that opportunity just to say, you know, I want to give this a shot. If you're really real, if all this stuff that these people talk about, if it's legit, and today you want to know, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. Just between me, you, and God right now. Thank you, ma'am. Who else this morning? Your relationship with God just isn't there. I'm not here to answer your questions and I'm not here to fix all of the issues. I would never pretend to be able to even begin to answer people's questions and fix all of their issues. My goal is to facilitate your response to the moving of the presence of God, to help you respond to God. That's all I'm here to do today. If your heart is being tugged on by the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. God will answer your questions after you respond to him. Your first goal is to respond to him. So who is that here today? You're kind of having this internal struggle. You want to know, but maybe your mind is saying, oh, this is crazy. I don't know about religion. I don't know about all those kind of things. This is not a religion. It's a relationship. You're having that internal struggle. That's your indicator today that the Lord is trying to reach out to you. Who is that? Lift your hand up this morning so I can pray for you.
It's nice to be in the presence of the Lord. Just the sweetness. you today. Thank you, Lord, for visiting us, for gracing us with your presence, for speaking to us, for healing our hearts. pray together if you need to make a commitment to the Lord today whether it's a first time commitment or you're just refocusing your relationship with God I want you to pray with me today I want you to to really express your heart to Jesus I believe today this time for many of you is a milestone The Lord's just doing some things in your heart. Let's pray this together. Say, Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me. To restore my relationship with Father God. Forgive me of my sin and give me a future. Restore my relationships. In Jesus' name, amen.